novel Frankenstein, written by Mary Shelley, a young, ambitious scientist called Victor Frankenstein builds a monster, an intelligent, conscious being. You're crazy! Crazy, am I? We'll see whether I'm crazy or not. In this scene in the 1931 film of the book, Frankenstein's friends warn him that his experiment is madly dangerous, but he presses on. A thunderstorm rages in the background, sparks fly from electric wiring, and the scientist brings his monster to life. Look, it's alive. 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 Oh, in the name of God. Now I know what it feels like to be God. Frankenstein's story doesn't end well. His creation turns on him, goes on a murderous rampage, and the scientist spends the rest of his life horrified and terrified by what he's brought to life. It's a story I've thought about often while researching this series, because some people who work in the field of artificial intelligence today believe we could be on the verge of building a new kind of creature, a machine at least as intelligent as a human, a super-intelligent computer that can think like a human, but faster and smarter in every way. Right, so first of all, uh, you have to understand that your brain, my brain, are machines. They're biological machines. But what is going on in your brain is computation. That's Joshua Bengio. He's known as one of the pioneers of modern artificial intelligence. His research has helped pave the way for some of the most advanced AI systems around today. And he believes that super-intelligent AI is coming, and sooner than we think. It's not very difficult if you just follow the trend of the progress we've seen in the last few years and ask, well, where will we be in three years, five years, ten years from now? Uh, is there a chance we could achieve in many areas, abilities comparable or better than humans. And a lot of people in AI think that's very likely, actually, let's say in the next decade. You might think that Professor Bengio, someone who spent his whole career building artificial brains, would be thrilled by the prospect. But he's not. Unlike Dr. Frankenstein, who could barely contain his excitement as his creature came to life, Professor Bengio is worried. He's worried that, like Frankenstein's creation super-intelligent machines will turn on their creators and could even destroy us. If it comes within the next decade or worse within the next few years, I don't think, and many others don't think, that society is organized, is ready to deal with the power that this will unleash and the disruptions it could create, the misuse that could happen. Or worse, what you know I've started to think more about this year the possibility of losing control of these systems. There is already a lot of evidence that they don't behave the way that we want them to. And do you think that could constitute an existential risk for humanity? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I have a grandkid and I often think about him. He's, he's a baby. Um, I, I want to make sure he has a life. Um, when I say 10 or 20 years, you know, we might get superhuman AI systems. Well, he won't even be an adult in 10 years.
This is Tectonic from the Financial Times. I'm John Thornhill, the FT's Innovation Editor. And I'm Madhumita Mergia, the FT's Artificial Intelligence Editor. In the last year, efforts to build machines that rival the intelligence of humans, super-intelligent AI, have gathered pace. But some people in the AI community are worried about the dangers this might pose. They worry it could even threaten the future of humanity itself. So in this season of Tectonic, we're asking, are we really on the verge of building super-intelligent machines? And if so, how worried should we be? Should we take the rise of AI as seriously as the risks of pandemics or nuclear war? So, Madhu, artificial intelligence turning against us and taking over the world, that's pretty much the stuff of science fiction. But it seems to have re-emerged as a topic of conversation in the last 12 months among AI researchers and people building AI systems. Why is that? We've really seen this boom over the past 12, maybe 18 months or so of a new type of artificial intelligence that we're now calling generative AI. And really what that is, is computer software that can create text, images, audio, video, even code, in a way that's almost indistinguishable from from the outputs of humans. People may have played with these tools already. Um, We've experienced them in the form of ChatGPT, MidJourney that creates pictures, DALI too, that can make images also. And many of the researchers involved with creating these tools were actually themselves surprised by how sophisticated these outputs were and with the abilities of these software systems. And we've seen billions of dollars being poured into these AI companies, haven't we? Yeah, exactly. The The companies that have built these so-called language models, this is the model behind, say, ChatGPT, um, companies like OpenAI, like Google DeepMind, they are trying to make money, but that's just sort of one of the minor goals along the way. The ultimate goal really is to build something called artificial general intelligence or AGI. And that's a computer system that would rival humans in terms of intelligence, reasoning, understanding. Um, And this is in contrast to narrow, more specific AI systems, um, which um, I've reported on for many years as well, and which which you have also. And these are already in use today. They've existed over the last five to 10 years, everything from facial recognition systems, for example, to the recommendation algorithms that we see on our social media feeds or Netflix. All that is driven by more narrow AI. By contrast, AGI, would be something that we could use to solve some of humanity's most intractable problems, you know, scientific problems, climate change, healthcare, and so on. So let's get some terms straight here. We're talking about artificial general intelligence or AGI, which is what these companies are talking about. But how does that relate to super intelligence? So I would say that there's a lot of debate around these definitions, even within the AI community. So they're not hard and fast rules. But from what we know today, AGI is this ability to think and reason at the level or have a similar level of intelligence to humans. And this is seen as an important step to the much more far away sort of still fictional goal of creating something super intelligent, um, which would be more scaled up quicker, better and smarter than any human that exists today. 
I recently spoke to Sam Altman, who's the chief executive of OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT um, in San Francisco. And I asked him about, you know, how far away he thought AGI was. And he said the researchers at his company had formed a hypothesis that they could test for what the pieces of AGI could look like, which to me felt a lot closer and more tangible, really, than anything they've ever said before. But the idea of super intelligence, this scaled up superhuman technology, that's still far out into the distance. But if they can scale up to a level where they're better than any humans, then that's where people start to get worried that we might lose control, that they might communicate with each other and we might no longer be in charge. If you've experimented with ChatGPT since it was launched last year, You might have used it to help you write an essay or draft an email or maybe do something like submit a resignation letter in the style of Shakespeare. But for some people, playing around with ChatGPT came as a shock, even for experts in the field like Joshua Bengio, who we heard from at the start of the show. It is ChatGPT that has turned me around. Where initially I was just looking at, oh, I can set it up so that it makes these mistakes. But while I was doing this, I also realized that, hey, it's getting a lot of these things that I thought would have taken another decade at least. Uh, it's getting all of these things right. For most of his career, Bengio assumed that human-level intelligence was possible, but it would take decades, if not centuries, to reach. Now, he thinks, it could just be a few years away. It's essentially nailing our intuitive abilities. So in our cognition, there are broadly two kinds of cognitive abilities. One is roughly intuition. So everything you can do without even thinking about it. And then there is, of course, reasoning and planning and all sorts of other important things. We've nailed the first thing. And because I've been working for almost a decade now on on the second thing, like how do we get reasoning and attention and essentially what corresponds to conscious behavior? How do we get that into AI? I realized that it could be very quick we might not be far from bridging that gap. There's been enough progress that it could be around the corner. And so Bengio started to wonder if it's possible that we'll have AI as intelligent or more intelligent than humans in two years or five years from now, what would happen? What could happen, he concluded, is that AI could threaten the existence of the human race. Can you explain to our listeners, who I think have a hard time of understanding this, how lines of code could threaten humanity? Maybe another way to phrase the question is, how could a computer become dangerous? Well, if the computer is not connected to anything and doesn't talk to anyone, it can't be very dangerous. But that's not what's going to happen, right? It's going to be connected to the internet. It's going to be talking and interacting with people. And if it has a goal of preserving itself it will not want to uh, let us turn it off, for example. And in order to make sure you won't be able to turn it off, it might want to copy itself and many other computers. Then we are in a territory where what they want and what we want might be in conflict. And if they are stronger than us in in ways that matter in the real world, um, we could be in, in, in real danger. So, Madhu, surely the answer here is just to create machines that are subservient to humans, to create AI that is incapable of disobeying a human command. So this is where the story really starts to sound like science fiction. 
Because some people in the AI world worried that this in practice would be hard to do. So first of all, the worry is that we might end up building powerful machines that threaten humans somehow by accident. For example, let's imagine we build this super powerful, super intelligent AI system and we give it the task of, say, solving climate change. It might reason that, hey, it's the humans that are producing all the carbon and so I should kill all the humans. And also, maybe I shouldn't tell the humans about my plan because they just would try and switch me off and scupper my plan. So I should just go ahead and kill everyone with no warning. All right. But um, why not just tell the computer to solve climate change? And by the way, we do not want you to kill everyone while you're at it. Because it's actually really hard to tell AI systems what to do. So a large language model like the one behind ChatGPT, for instance, the way it works is by training on billions and billions of words or data. Basically, you feed it all of the text, say, from the internet, books, blogs, newspapers, and so on. And then you ask it questions and see what comes out. We know how to optimize them so they get better, but really nobody knows how the system comes up with its answers or really why it does what it does. Even the companies behind these systems don't quite know what's going on under the hood. They can adjust controls to change the outputs, but they don't really know why. And so at the moment, this means that chatbots can come out with some really strange stuff even harmful content, fabrications and so on that you don't expect. So for instance, you could have racial stereotypes, you could have gender biases. All of these things are learned from the data on which these algorithms are trained. Even something more dangerous, like for example, they might be able to give instructions on how to build a bomb or perpetrate a cyber attack. And that's what people in the AI industry call the alignment problem, right? Exactly. So how do you align an AI software to the desires and needs and values of human beings. But in the future, if you have a super intelligent AI that could threaten humanity, then this potential misalignment could actually end up being extremely dangerous and possibly even existential. Instead of throwing out a fabricated picture of the Pope in a puffer jacket, it's throwing out plans to kill people and it actually may have the agency and the power to enact those ideas. I'm Eliezer Yudkowsky. I've been working on trying to figure out how to build AI that won't eventually kill everyone for about the past 22 years or so. Eliezer Yudkowsky is the co-founder of a think tank called the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. And he's pretty well known in the AI world for his warnings about a coming AI apocalypse. First time somebody builds AI that's powerful enough to actually be dangerous and kill everyone they're going to screw up and we're all going to die. And that's the way it plays out in real life. Yudkowsky says that this alignment problem is the big risk of AI because we will have no way of controlling the system's objectives or even understanding what it wants. So the most likely outcome of building super intelligent AI is pretty bleak. Everyone on Earth will be killed. Because we cannot shape what they want. And if it just wants a bunch of inscrutable things that make no sense to us, then it doesn't hate you, it doesn't love you, you're made of atoms that can do for something else and you're in the way of where it's working. And it also doesn't want you building other superintelligences that could actually compete with it. So there's the possibility where it just switches everyone off so that they can't build any superintelligences or launch any nuclear weapons that might land where it was working. It doesn't hate you, but we don't know how to make it actually be friends with us. 
We don't know how to make it love us, and that kills us off as a side effect. Madhu, this sounds all incredibly alarmist. Does Yudkowsky think there's a solution to this? No, basically. He reckons that the only thing to do is to stop developing AI altogether. I've watched the rate at which AI progresses, and we're just out of time. The capabilities, the power level of the AI is just running vastly, vastly ahead of our ability to steer it, and it is progressing faster than our ability to steer it is progressing. We're out of time for technical solutions, and what we need to do at this point is back off. Okay, that's a pretty radical conclusion. We're essentially doomed, he's saying, if we keep going down this trajectory. Well, Yudkowsky is known as quite an extreme AI doomer. And these ideas of a coming AI apocalypse, they've always been on the fringes of the AI conversation. But what's really striking now is how, in, in just the last few months, these fears have found their way into the mainstream. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Some AI doomers, like Eliezer Yudkowsky, believe that if we build superintelligent AI, then everyone on Earth will die, and that the only solution is to shut down AI research completely. He even says that the specialist computer chips used for AI development should be strictly controlled, and governments should be ready to bomb the data centers of rogue states if they pursue superintelligent AI. But in the last 12 months, these fears about the AI apocalypse have found their way into the mainstream conversation. Earlier this year, there was an open letter signed by more than a thousand tech researchers and executives, including Elon Musk and others, calling for a six-month pause on developing more advanced AI systems. Another prominent AI researcher, Jeffrey Hinton, a friend of Joshua Bengio's, quit his high-profile job at Google because he said he wanted to talk more freely about the risks of AI. Both were among the experts who signed a statement saying that the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority, alongside the threat of pandemics and nuclear war. Until we know better how to build superhuman AI that will be safe, we should probably not do it. Yoshua Bengio says that the threat from advanced AI is so serious, there's an argument for halting its development altogether. The problem, though, is that completely shutting down that kind of research would be very difficult to do. The cat is out of the bag. Companies are racing ahead, governments are racing ahead, the militaries are racing ahead. Because there's so much promise, especially economic promise, and, and on the military side, that it's going to be very difficult to stop that train. And so we should try to slow it down as much as we can. If, if we are able to stop it, great. It's chilling to hear the experts in the field warn about what is essentially the end of humanity caused by lines of code. But here's the thing. Not everyone agrees with this grim scenario. So I think that scenario is preposterous. Um, <laughs> because, and, and I'm, you know, using well-chosen words here. Jan Lacan 
is the head of AI at the tech giant Meta. He shared the Turing Award, the Nobel Prize for Computing, with Joshua Bengio and Jeff Hinton in 2018. Lacan agrees that human-level AI is on its way, perhaps in a few years or decades, but he rejects the idea that it could ever pose an existential risk to humans. First of all, he argues, why do we assume that intelligent machines will want to take over? You know, people very often are conditioned by science fiction and think about the Terminator scenario where, you know, when a machine is more intelligent than humans, necessarily it will want to compete with humans and perhaps take over. And I think this is a completely wrong way of thinking because intelligence has nothing to do with a desire to dominate. It's not even true for humans. If it were true that the smartest humans wanted to dominate others, then Albert Einstein and other scientists would have been both rich and powerful, and they were neither. So the idea somehow that this desire to dominate is linked with intelligence is just completely false. And second, he argues, the idea that AI might kill us all by accident, by misunderstanding its objectives or our intentions, just wouldn't happen. Because, you know, are we that stupid to give unlimited power to an AI system that has a unique goal without any guardrails, so that it's going to come up with a stupid idea of killing all humans? No. If you design a system, let's say a robot, to fetch you coffee, and someone stand in its way, because the only objective of the system is to fetch you coffee, it's going to kill everyone on its, uh, you know, that stands in its way that prevents it from fetching coffee. Now, again, this is a ridiculous scenario because how stupid would we be to not have guardrails into the system to basically stop it from even bumping into humans or even getting close to them? Lacan admits that current AI systems, large language models like ChatGPT, are inherently difficult to control. But he says future systems will be designed very differently with built-in objectives and rules on how to behave. We've been designing guardrails for humans for millennia. That's called laws. The difference is that AI systems, we can hardwire those laws into their way of acting. We can't do this with humans. So that I, I think it's going to be much, much easier to make AI systems safe than it is to make humans safe. Lacan says machines as intelligent as humans are coming. But they should be welcomed, not feared. It will amplify human collective intelligence, if you want. It's like having a, a staff of really intelligent people working for you. We shouldn't feel threatened by this. This is going to amplify human intelligence, similar to the effect of the invention of the printing press on humanity back in the 15th century. I'm thinking of this in terms of a, a new renaissance for humanity, like the next step for uh, humanity, really. If you're confused about who to believe, you should be. People working in AI are sharply divided. You have doomers on one side, including experts like Joshua Bengio, and enthusiasts like Yann Lequin on the other. One half warning of the end of humanity and the other heralding a new renaissance. Two really intelligent, knowledgeable people with decades of collective experience in building AI with completely different views on the risks and what we should do about them. So I asked Bengio what he thought of his friend and colleague Lequin's view. I don't understand his logic. <laughs> Uh, um, I can see some of the arguments. Um, he is convinced that everything is going to go fine, that we'll find solutions to the problems as we go. 
and um, you know, good will prevail over bad. Um, I, I'm I'm happy that he has so much confidence, um, but I think it's dangerous not to look at the possibilities ahead. I'm not saying that you know here's the scenario. This is how it's going to happen. I don't know, but I I don't see any argument. No one has given me any like reasonable argument to discard those possibilities. In fact, the more I read about some of the thoughts that people in AI safety have been like putting together about the risks, the more I think that those who say it's just science fiction haven't done their homework. That there are real uh, sequences of events that seem quite plausible that could lead to catastrophic outcomes, whether it's due to misuse or loss of control. I feel rather sorry in a way for a lot of policymakers who are trying to make sense of this debate. Who do you think they should listen? What, what, what are the kind of criteria for credibility in this world? Well, anybody who makes very strong claims like, oh, it can't happen or don't worry, everything is going to be good, I don't think should be receiving as much credibility as people who are saying, I don't know, but I think we should look into it. It's difficult to understand some of the things we're talking about today. It's sometimes not just intellectually difficult, but it's also psychologically difficult to accept that, oh no, there's this other thing, and oh, it looks like science fiction scenarios. Should I really worry about it? It requires to really let go of our preconceptions and just like look rationally at the facts, at the arguments, at the possibilities, and then think about uh, what can we do. We need to pay attention and we need to better understand what can go wrong and how we could mitigate those problems or even maybe decide collectively that we don't want to go there, period. John, which side are you most convinced by? For the moment, I think I'm in Camp Lacan, the AGI enthusiast. Although these systems are incredibly impressive, almost magical when you use them, they're still very limited in their capabilities, as Yann Lacan describes. But I think what is unnerving about this whole debate is just the sheer unknowability of the field. We simply do not know answers to a lot of these questions. We don't know how fast it's going to develop, and we don't know what path it's on. So longer term, I think we absolutely should take the concerns of experts like Joshua Bengio very seriously. And I think what's fascinating is that regardless of how convinced we are by these warnings of AI bringing about the end of humanity, they're being increasingly prioritised by governments and by regulators. I was recently at the AI Safety Summit at Bletchley Park that the UK government convened. And what I heard there, which I thought was interesting, is even though you had these researchers who disagreed on the big existential risks like Jan Lecun, like Joshua Bengio and others, they did come to a sort of consensus that there were clear near-term risks, like disinformation during elections or deep fakes, for example, or even things like cyber attacks that they needed to figure out solutions to. But all the while, there are billions of dollars still being poured by these companies into their mission of building artificial general intelligence. And what's baffling is that they're doing it even as they're warning about the risks of AI. So in the next episode of this season of Tectonic, we're speaking to one of those companies and asking them, how close are we to building AGI? Why do we need it? And if there are risks, what should we do about them? The challenge ahead of us is that these systems can and will allow for immense good, immense progress, and a much greater degree of societal resilience if we can deal 
with the misuse side of them. And we'll also be asking, is this whole debate around the existential risks of AI a dangerous distraction? So I can't talk about whether it's deliberate or not, but certainly it's beneficial to them in that way to have the attention focused on these fake fantasy scenarios of existential risk. You've been listening to Tectonic from the Financial Times with me, John Thornhill. And me, Madhumita Mergia. Our senior producer is Edwin Lane. The producer is Josh Gabbard-Dayon. Manuela Saragosa is executive producer. Sound design and engineering by Samantha Giovinko and Breen Turner. Original music by Metaphor Music. The FT's global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. This is the first episode in this season of Tectonic on Superintelligent AI. We'll be back over the next four weeks with more. Get every episode as it lands by subscribing to Tectonic on your usual podcast platform. And in the meantime, we've made some articles free to read on FT.com. There's John's interview with Meta's Yann Lequin, along with my reporting from the recent AI Safety Summit that took place in November here in the UK. Just follow the links in the show notes.